Each episode of Education with an Edge is meant to create, cultivate, and inspire honest discussion about issues affecting youth. Hosted by author, artist, educator, advocate, and speaker, Jaquel Lane. Hello and welcome. This is Jaquel Lane, your host of Education with an Edge, the podcast that deals with all things to do with youth, mentorship, and education because we believe that every child matters and you should too. I am here today with Deborah Gilg. Welcome, Deb. Hi, Jaquel. Uh, This is such a special interview for me today uh, for several reasons, but I have had the privilege of knowing Deb my literally my entire life. She is not only a tremendous mentor of mine, but a formidable force. So thank you for being here with us today at Education with an Edge. And I have to brag on her a little bit. She is former U.S. attorney under President Barack Obama, and she is also the founder of Fearless, Fierce, and Forward. So uh, here at Education with an Edge, we just like to get a little bit of background um, about yourself. Uh, I Our viewers would love to hear about about your childhood um, and how you grew up and where you grew up and maybe a mentor of yours that you would like to talk about from your youth. Okay, will do. Well, let me just say this. I am an Omaha native. Yes. Grew up in Omaha, went to St. Peter's grade school, and I was a rebel. (laughs) I was the only one in my family who decided that I was not going to go to a Catholic high school, so I went to Omaha Central. Uh, which was really life-changing for me. Um, I grew up in a very turbulent um, home setting with uh, a lot of domestic violence uh, in the home setting, sexual abuse. Um, It it just was not uh, a very good childhood, let's just put it that way. However, um, I had a grandfather who uh, was a very influential part of my life growing up. He only had a third grade education. Wow. However, um, he was always pushing on me saying, you need to get educated. Um, You need to be a doctor. You need to be a lawyer. Uh, You need to do something with yourself because that's the only way that you are able to achieve things is through education. And I figured that I was better off going to a high school that was known for its college preparatory work, and so I chose Omaha Central, and from there I came into connection with a lot of really wonderful teachers. Wonderful, and I'm a huge fan of Omaha Central, and and I know that you're a proud alumni, so thank you for sharing that. Um, Looking back on a childhood memory, what did you dream of becoming uh, when you were little, and why? Well, this is sort of interesting. (laughs) I I kind of have this um, renaissance type of (laughs) philosophy as a child. Um, I was really, really interested in being a veterinarian. I wanted so much to be a veterinarian. Uh, Reality hit when I got to high school and figured out that mathematics and myself just weren't the best fit ever. (laughs) That would be me. So um, I decided that probably veterinary school was not the thing for me. Um, So then I decided... um, because it was, I was musical, and I had a piano teacher that was very influential in my life, and so I decided that um, I was going to go to music school, wow. uh, which is, in fact, what I did. I started at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln on a piano scholarship. Oh, my gosh. Of all things. I didn't know that. From there, okay, this is the circuitous <laughs> lifestyle, <Yes>. life story. <laughs> from there, I morphed into... 
Latin American studies. Oh, wow. I decided that I was not good enough to be a performance artist, and I did not want to teach music. So I was very interested in Latin American studies for whatever reason uh, back in the day. And the university at that time had a great Latin American institute. So um, I got my undergraduate degree in Latin American studies. What a fascinating, I mean, what a fascinating journey. Um, And that was some things that I didn't know about you. I did know that you were a phenomenal pianist. I think you're selling yourself short there. But, um, and we at Education with an Edge and I myself, I mean, arts are very important to me. And and so I think that that's so very important. And unfortunately, uh, today arts programs are getting cut. So um, we definitely need to stand up against that. So, Deb, since this show uh, is geared towards inspiring young people, what do you think the most significant obstacle or challenge of your youth was, and how did you overcome it? Well, for me, uh, as I referenced before, I had a very turbulent childhood. I had, um, there was a lot of domestic violence in the household, and and I was sexually abused as a child at age five. Um, Those were very traumatic (laughs) uh, issues that I needed to overcome. Um, I would say that I overcame them uh, through the encouragement of my grandfather, yes. of all people, because he was the person who was pushing education. Um, my my father, on the other hand, although he was highly educated, did not believe in education for women. Oh, wow. So he was not supportive at all in terms of going on and doing anything. But my grandfather, of all people, the man with the third grade education right. said, you can do it, you need to do it, um, you've got to go and get yourself educated and be what you can be. And so he actually was the formative voice inside my head and throughout my life. And what a legacy to honor him, even in speaking with me with us today about what just an important figure that he was and that fact that one person can change the whole trajectory of your life, you know? Oh, oh to- totally. And, and, and then I, you know, came across people along the way. For example, I referenced my piano teacher. Um, I, I know that she suspected that I did not have a good f- a home life. You know, at the time, it's just not something you talked about. And um, and she sort of took me under her wing always and mentored me. Um, she and her husband uh, provided kind of an alternate space, of a safe space for me to be in at times. And so that informed the route that I wound up taking. Yes. Well, and music is, you know, very structured and there is some sort of a schedule. And so those all set you up, you know, those mechanisms set you up for success as well. So that's very, it's very interesting. And I also admire your strength and your courage for sharing um, those things with us, because oftentimes those are issues that people just don't talk about, as you said. And there's so many of our viewers that need to hear that because it, it is out there and, and it is very prevalent in our society. Um, you know, you have had quite quite the the educational career and also the career path, but you are a powerhouse attorney. I mean, I like in terms of just someone that I admire and just think is so cool because I'm such a nerd with my legal shows like you are such an amazing attorney and steward of the law. And so how did you wind up in the legal profession? Oh, my gosh. Again, (laughs) uh, you know, I kind of have this 
no real plan, sort of circuitous way that I went around. Well, when I figured out that Latin American studies was a great degree to have, however, <laughs> I didn't really want to leave Nebraska. And at the time, what, what in the heck was I going to do with that? So the voice in my head from mm-hmm. my grandfather, I remembered law. Yes. And so I went to law school. Wow. Um, and found out that I really liked law school. I really liked learning. Yes. Uh, and that's the, the thing for me is that I'm just a lifelong learner. I will read anything. I will study anything. And the law is perfect for people like like myself because you get to learn so many new things all the time. If you take a new case, maybe it's a rancher um, and there's a cattle issue or I recall early on in my career, I was representing a, um, a lumber company, and there was a whole product liability issue having to do with asphalt shingles. I got the opportunity to be educated about the proper installation of shingles and, I mean, just the whole manufacturing process. And so for me, uh, it, it's a good, it's always been a good fit because there's always something new for me to learn. So, um, my family laughs because it's like I have all of these random facts kind of tumbling around in my head uh, from from the cases that I've had. Absolutely. And you being, I mean, it always keeps you on your toes. Like it's something different every single day, which I can see being very appealing to you because you like excitement and exactly. that's exciting. Exactly. Um you know, and one of the things that you're, you are, you are an advocate for women. You are a champion of change for, for women. And how was it for female attorneys when you first started? Oh my gosh, Jaquelle. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about that before, you know, I was in Western Nebraska of all places. Um, let me see. It was not good. I was called a lawyerette. Oh. Um, I was, um, one time I was trying a case and the lawyer objected to the judge because I was wearing a red suit. Oh, and heavens. the lawyer's objection was it was distracting. <laughs> um, and, I mean, I can go on and on and on about these stories. Um, it was um, it was an interesting experience. But I would have to say that because, because I came from such a turbulent background, resilience was something that was just sort of innate to me. Yes. And it was like, oh, this isn't going to defeat me. Um, <clears throat> so I have to kind of edge my way in with, with this male-dominated profession. And and I guess it would have been easier if I'd been in a city and not in a rural setting, but I just decided that's that's the hand that life dealt me, and I was going to deal with it. And you bloomed where you were planted, which is amazing. I mean, you did, you, which is a great lesson for all of us, that you you were highly, you know, successful and regarded for, for where you were. Um, how do you think that the legal profession is viewed and what would you like the public to know about what you do? Well, I mean, we all, myself included, love to tell lawyer jokes that are, that are disrespectful to lawyers, <laughs> okay, because it's kind of funny. But what I've learned over the years is that people love their own lawyers. Yes. Okay? Uh, it's just every other lawyer they hate. Right. But their own lawyer, when you talk to them, oh, I love my lawyer. Um, I think the law is a very noble profession because it's a real catalyst for change in, yes. s- in so many ways. And we see people at their deepest and their darkest uh, hours in whatever struggle they're going through in, in from a legal perspective. I, I think that the legal profession is held in high esteem, uh, most, mostly. Uh, there, are, there are a few exceptions, but uh, I think it's a very noble profession. And, and I'm I'm glad that voice in my head so many years ago propelled me to go forward. 
Absolutely. And well, and, and everyone has benefited, um, certainly, uh, from that decision. Please take some time to tell us about your time as county attorney in Keith County. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, all right. This is like going back. Um, not only was I county attorney, but, you know, Nebraska is unique in that the elected county attorneys also serve as the county coroners. And which means that anytime there's a death outside of a hospital, the county attorney has to conduct the death investigation, uh, go to the scene, make the determination, sign the death certificate, certify what the cause of death is. We are unique in that we're the only state out of all the states in the union that do it that way. And so the first shockeroo for me was when I got the phone call in the middle of the night after I'd been elected and there was a snowstorm in western Nebraska saying, We've got a body in a car at the bottom of a ditch, <laughs> oh. and you need to come. Yes. Um, and um, that was an interesting experience as county attorney, and over the years I had many interesting experiences like that. It, it was a growth experience as well because I had to learn a lot of things again, and it was also an opportunity I always sort of felt to help ease the transition for families that perhaps – uh, this was a very traumatic event that yes. occurred, an accident or some sort of sudden death, and to be able to to provide some type of of clarity to them and, and condolences. But that was a small part of the job. There were just so many aspects, and particularly in Keith County with Lake McConaughey and all of the um, activities that would go on there in the summertime that would increase the crime rate. Yes. It, it was it was very challenging because we had very few resources in terms of law enforcement. And um, <clears throat> there were some controversial things that was that were going on with respect to uh, behavior at the lake. And so there was a balancing of, the challenge for me was the balancing of the local merchants not wanting to scare away all of the people that were coming from Colorado to party at the lake, but yet at the same time, the alcohol was causing a phenomenal increase in crime, sexual assault, and so forth. And so trying to, to balance those interests um, to make the community realize that we had to do something to curb the alcohol use at the lake in order to control the problem. So the, there was just a lot of dynamics that went on uh, being in a small rural county with a large recreational yes. location that brought in tens of thousands of people yes. at time. Yes. And no doubt um, prepared you and gave you the experience that some would never have in their career to catapult you to your next venture, which I have to say that when this took place, I totally used like name dropped you like nobody's business. <laughs> so um, from, I mean, your illustrious career, um, you know, you were appointed to U.S. Uh, attorney under President Barack Obama. Can you tell us what this meant to you and a little bit about your time in that position? Um, it was the biggest honor of my life. I It was um, unreal for me. Number one, uh, that some some young girl that lived on 33rd and Pacific in Omaha yes. um, who was going to be the first female United States attorney for the state of Nebraska was just amazing to me. But but moreover, it was such an honor because the ideals that he embodied and the ideals that he instilled in the U.S. Department of Justice uh, during the term that I was there as U.S. attorney um, were all about justice and justice for everybody. 
and it has been, um, it had, undoubtedly was the highlight of my career. And it was the, the best thing that ever happened to me. Well, and I certainly enjoyed calling there because I felt like, you know, it was really serious. I mean, I had to go through several different channels. <laughs> I think the FBI, I like, I don't know. Um, I'm just trying to take her to lunch. Um, no, it was, it was so, so cool. And we were all so proud of you and still are. Um, what is one case, uh, you know, that, and I know that it's glamorized in the media and things, but what is one case that really stands out to you in your career that you feel the most, like had the most significant impact on you or that you are the proudest of? Well, I, I would say when I was U.S. attorney uh, that we had a case of um, sexual exploitation, uh, child pornography that was global. And it turned out that the case or that the... Um, <clears throat> the websites uh, were on the dark web, and it was emanating from Bellevue, Nebraska. Oh my God. And um, it was a, <clears throat> a life-altering experience in the sense of finding out uh, all of these things that were happening uh, with children and the individuals who were posting things and posting pictures and posting their, their gross fantasies and so forth. Um, but trying to untangle all of it because it's on the dark web and you can't track the mm -hmm. IP addresses very readily. So with the help of Interpol internationally and with my colleagues across the nation and with the great uh, help from the FBI cybercrime, we were able to actually indict several um, people, including the person who was the proponent and had set all of this up. And one of the... Um, Interesting also side apart to this to show how pervasive this problem is in our society and how it affects all levels is that one of the individuals that wound up being arrested and indicted for this was the assistant director of the Department of Homeland Security. And when he was arrested, he was found with his computer oh. on and he was actually engaged in um, the child pornography, sexual exploitation uh, of children online. So <clears throat> for me, also coming from, as I've referenced, my turbulent background, um, that I got a lot of um, satisfaction out of feeling like I'd made a difference. Absolutely. And, and a I mean, you just embody just such a strong sense of social justice as well. So I'm sure that that was very, very gratifying um, and, and saved no doubt, uh, many, many children's lives. Um, I do want to say, I mean, you're so, it's like we could sit here and talk for hours and hours, but you're also a, a law professor. You teach law at the university. Um, at actually, you taught at several different universities. Um, but you had, you have a student, you had a student that um, was actually a, a lost boy of Sudan. And, and can you tell us a little bit about the incredible hardship that he overcame to be a lawyer and what this young man means to you? Jaquel, thank you for asking me about this, because this is also one of the highlights, probably, of being a teacher for me. As, as we all know in the educational process, I think as teachers, we get as much, if not more, out of teaching students than, than they get from us. Yes. Um, and <clears throat> they're, for me, in this particular situation, this young man was a student of mine uh, when I was teaching, and, um, and he was an excellent student. 
Um, I, I recognize that he was not um, someone who'd grown up in the United States. And so I took an interest in him and started talking to him. And I found out he was one of the lost boys of Sudan, that when he was nine years old, he and his brother, uh, through the encouragement of their parents because of what was going on in Sudan, um, they told their boys to flee, to get oh. out. And so these two nine-year-old, well, nine- and ten-year-old boys, they traveled um, during the night, uh, and they hid during the day. And it took them a week or more to get to Kenya uh, from Sudan, where there were UN uh, resettlement camps. And so these two two young boys, uh, they leave their family. They have no food. They're foraging. They're just using their own wits, and they make it to the camps in Kenya. The other remarkable thing that he said to me when we were talking about that, because he wound up being in this camp for, for quite a few years, because uh, he, wanted, he wanted, obviously, to resettle someplace. He did not know what had happened to his family. He didn't know if his parents were still alive or anything. But they got a very small allowance from the UN that they could buy, like, incidentals when mm-hmm. they were in the camp. And he, uh, rather than use it for snacks or food, he used it to buy school supplies. Oh, my gosh. And then um, a church in Nebraska sponsored him. And as he tells the story, he winds up in Omaha, Nebraska in a snowstorm. And he can't speak any English, uh, had never seen snow before. And he shows up. And from there, you know, he gets educated. He learns English. He successfully graduates from the university. He is now a practicing attorney New York City, he's in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, and his goal uh, to me was that someday he wanted to work for the UN because he wanted to give back. He felt so grateful to the UN for everything that they did for him. And I always said to him, I expect that you will be the UN Secretary General someday. Absolutely. And I want to hear from you when that happens. And he says, Professor, you're going to be the first person I call. But... What an, inspiration. what an inspiration. I mean, to uh, overcome that kind of hardship. And, and kind of the happy end to the story, too, is that he discovered his parents were still alive. Oh, thank goodness. So um, just tremendous hardship, uh, but he used education. He had that light in him knowing that, that this was going to be his way out, and it, and it has been. And I have nothing but... Uh, <clears throat> absolute confidence that this is going to be a young man that's going to achieve great things in life. Great things. And that's what really, Deb, this whole podcast is about, is that if there's a young person out there that's listening and you are at your wit's end or you don't know what to do or what path to take next, that education is the key, that you can get anywhere from where you're at. And your story dictates that, and this young man's story dictates that. And it's so very, very, very important. Um, It doesn't matter what family you came from. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic class you come from. You can get anywhere if you have an education. Um, So last... Last question, but um, what is next for Deb Gilg? And, and I and our audience would love to hear about your newest venture, which is that you are the founder of Fearless, Fierce, and Forward. Fearless, Fierce, and Forward is something that I put together, and it is a, a training uh, for women on empowerment issues, 
on how to negotiate better for yourself. Uh, I do training also with the Native American uh, tribes, with the Native American women, because I have a real affinity for um, everything that has occurred to them Yes, uh, <clears throat> that this country has actually done to them. And um, so this is my new passion. It's still an educational yes. standpoint. I go and I'll do presentations or, or workshops, uh, what, whatever type of skill set that uh, an organization or a group or uh, individuals feel like that they're missing out on. I feel like if I've got some skill set that I might be able to impart to them, help them with or mentor them with, then that's something that I want to do. Absolutely. Well, Deb, I cannot thank you enough. And I just adore you. And I'm so grateful that you are willing to come on our show today. Um, once again, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jaquel Lane and Education with an Edge. And if you would like to um, hear more about Deborah Gilg, um, you can find her on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Um, and once again, she is the founder of Fearless, Fierce, and Forward and former U.S. attorney and um, certainly an individual to follow and to watch. So thank you for being here with us today on Education with an Edge, the podcast that is dedicated to our youth because every child matters and they are our future. Thank you. If you have a question or just want to learn more, go to JaquelLane.com. Thanks for listening to Education with an Edge. A Parkville Media Production.